that really fear is a liar that it can't be ignored. And so, you know, I, I think of it when I every time I hear it, because you can't help but turn that up in the car, right, or at work or wherever I'm at, and listen to that because it's a it's a motivating song. It's a very realistic song, um, applicable to uh, to all of us, I think. You know, in in a lot of ways that um, that you know, fear written I written and performed by Zach Williams is one of those things that there isn't a lyric in that song that you don't go, man. That we probably all haven't thought that about ourselves and about our inadequacies and 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 how easily uh, it creeps in. It creeps into our minds and our hearts that that we're not worthy, that we're not smart enough, that we're not tall enough, that we're not fit enough, that we're not pretty enough, that we're not um, all the things that 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 creep into our minds. You look at that and you go, you know, it, it, how is it not applicable to all of us? And I tell you, there's a there's actually a music video uh, where he um, is playing that in a prison, a Harding prison, I believe it's in Arkansas, and so. And I thought that was really cool. He puts on a, a live concert uh, for inmates. I thought that was really cool. Um, so fear will tell us that we're not good enough, as a, as the song was mentioning. Uh, fear will tell us that that we're not smart enough. Uh, fear will even tell us that it's not really God speaking to us, right? Uh, fear will will cause us to question the very existence of our God. You know, and and hopefully I got at least a couple more messages out of this and and in regards to this, because there's so many examples, actually, when you take just a snapshot in the scripture and you start looking at some of the things that that you can see today, we're going to be in Judges chapter six. So go ahead and turn there with me. But there's other scriptures that that really you just look at you go at the base of somebody's failure at the base or or the, the root reason behind somebody's. Um, inadequacies and in a lot of times that you read in the scripture is rooted in fear and even some of the some of the men and and women in the bible that you can look at and you go man they did some tremendous things they were still fearful now you go well wait a minute you know the scripture teaches us to be fearful of god yeah absolutely that's the only fear we're supposed to have that's it we'll get to that because that's going to come later in the message but for today I'll share with you guys in, in, in Judges chapter 6. Let's see here. Now, <clears throat> not an uncommon territory for Israel or God's people to come under bondage of another people, right? In other words, they've done something really stupid or done a series of things that are dumb. And God has said, okay, because you've done this, I'm going to bring somebody's going to someone's going to be your boss because you obviously can't handle it on your own, right? You're going to be punished. I mean, that's a a gross paraphr- you know paraphrasing of it, but that's in a nutshell happened to them more times than you know for us to really kind of consider. Good thing that doesn't happen to us nowadays, right? Yeah. Tell yourself that. It still happens. You, you look at that and you go, well, what do you mean? Think about it. If you're not going to do the job, I'll have somebody do it over the top of you until you wake up and smell the coffee, until you realize what you're supposed to be doing, right? And so 
In chapter 6 of Judges, in verse 1, it says, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. Uh-huh. Why would God Why would God cause them? Well, because as it says there, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God says, you know what? Midian's going to rule over you for this, this period of time, right? And so the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because, the Midian, uh, because of Midian, the, the, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. In other words, they were afraid, right? So the Midians were something to be afraid of. And Israel's saying, hey, man, we gotta, you know, we're, getting, we're under bondage and we're under, under rule. These guys are mean. So we're going to make caves. And it says in verse 3, 4, it was, it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up and the Amalekites and the sons of the east would go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep or ox or, ox or donkey. They would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come... Like locusts in the number, both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Now when it came about that Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, and the prophet of the sons of Israel said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians, and from the hands of all your oppressors, and dispossessed them before you, and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall fear, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. It says in verse 11, something really, really important. Verse 11 says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abirzite. As his, as his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. So he was beating out the wheat in the winepress. You know why he was doing that, right? He was scared. He was afraid of the Midianites. So that gives you, a, that gives you the first glimpse. Now, I can tell you right now, there ain't a single one of us in here that shouldn't have been and put ourselves in Gideon's shoes or Israel's shoes it was probably something fearful to be around those people. you imagine a bully coming up and taking your lunch every day? You know, and the reality of it is there was nobody that you could run to to say, hey, tell him to stop or her to stop. They're going to come up and they're going to take all your stuff every time and leave you with the remnants, leave you with the leftovers. Well, that's not fair. That's not right. No, you're probably right. And if we would, as man would define fairness, but it's actually fair and right in God's eyes, right? You go, why would God allow that to happen? You see, God didn't force that on them. They brought it upon themselves because of the disobedience. They brought it upon themselves because they were wicked and evil. And God says, because you're being wicked and evil, his own people, because you're being wicked and evil, Many of nights are going to rule over you. Why would he do that? Because he's a loving and compassionate God. Because he's going to get their attention, isn't he? And the reality of it is, for, for the vast majority, for mankind, for all of us, the reality of it is, is that we cannot, honestly and truthfully, sometimes we cannot see God properly until he brings us as low as we can possibly go. 
before he pulls and, and takes our legs out from underneath us. And, and there's that bully that keeps taking things. Life is the bully sometimes that keeps taking things from us. You, you ever thought about it this way? How come I can't get ahead in life? Maybe it's because you're not putting God in front of you. Maybe I can't get ahead in life because, because life keeps coming in and taking things from me. Maybe that's the good Lord trying to get your attention. Maybe God's saying, hey, I'm right here. I just need you to listen to me. But right now you keep trying to do it on your own power, your own might. And remember, he gave them warnings on that, didn't he? Remember when he brought them out of Egypt, he says, when you get to that land, when you go out, do not forget that it is I that brought you out. It was by my power and not yours. He even warned them specifically. Because when you get to that land when it's flowing with milk and honey and it's all good and it tastes good, you're going to sit back in your fat bellies, you're going to rub them, and you're going to go, look at what I've done. And you done forgot it was God that did it. You forgot it was God. Whew. Thank God that's an Israel problem, right? That's a mankind problem. That's a flesh problem. We forget that God entrusts us with the things in this life so that we can show him that we can be good stewards of his will. And everything and every aspect, when he's given us with children, when he's given us in positions in the church, he's given us positions in our place of employment. Brethren, that is a test of your stewardship. None of the things that I just mentioned do you own. You don't own your kids. You don't own your wife. Your wife doesn't own the husband. You don't own your job. It's not your job. That's a job that he has given you and me so that we can be proper stewards of the will that he's given us. The things that he's given us so that we can show our master that we're good stewards. Fear can creep into our lives. And it can paralyze us. Some say, well, I never fear anything. That's probably because you haven't got off the couch. And I'm going to tell you right now, somebody that doesn't experience fear is not extending themselves enough. I'll tell you that right now. Why? Well, I'm never fearful. Well, okay. It's in all of us. See, the reality of it is I'd like to stand before you today and tell you, hey, don't fear ever. And that's true, right? The scripture teaches that's the rule. That doesn't mean that you won't be fearful. The example that we're reading about Gideon, Gideon was a strong man of God. He did some, some really amazing things. Moses and, and, and some of the other ones that you look at just did really amazing things. You look at that and you go, those men feared. So if you think that they feared and can't fear, it's not something strange when it comes upon you. We should have the understanding and the realization that it will come upon us as well. Anyway, so back in verse 11, he's beating out the wheat in the wine press, right? So he's, in other words, he's, he's, he's afraid, all the people. Verse 12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. <laughs> he's talking about, O valiant warrior, hiding in the wine press, beating out the wheat. See a little bit of a paradox there? That's like, <laughs> that's like, you know, the God speaking to you from your hiding place. Hmm? You talking to me? Yeah, talking to you. In verse 13, then Gideon said to him, O Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? 
It's a fair question, isn't it? A very fleshly question, isn't it? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. It's fair, but it doesn't make it right. That's a fair question, isn't it? It's a, if we're honest with ourselves, isn't that a question that all of us would want to ask God? That if you're God, then why am I being treated like this? And I'm supposed to be your people, but look at the Midians. Look at what they're doing to me. When you look at it from a fleshly perspective, that's a very honest question, isn't it? But that's not the right spiritual question to be asking. The real question is, if I'm God's people, if I'm a part of your people, why am I like this? Why has this been done? The very fact that the angel of the Lord is speaking to him is evidence that God has not truly abandoned them as well, right? So the Lord looked at him and says, Go in, your, go in, in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I have not sent you. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest of my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. You shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. I'll stop there for just a moment. Do you sense fear in Gideon's response? Hopefully you do. And hopefully you sympathize with that fear too. Hopefully you realize, wait a minute. Because Gideon is in a place where he feels as though God has abandoned him. Has there ever been a time in our life where we feel that God has abandoned us? That, that maybe God's divine hand is not at work in our lives anymore? But yet, here we have the opportunity and you see that Gideon is speaking to an angel of the Lord. Evidence in and of itself that God has not truly abandoned them. Maybe his perspective was off. And maybe our perspective is off from time to time too. But fear nonetheless creeps in. <clears throat> and he says that, you know, Gideon says, I, you know, basically, I don't know about all this. So he says that he went in and prepared a young goat. And he put it out, right? The ipaph of flour, put it, you know, and the angel said to him, it says, verse 20, it says, take the meat and unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour, the broth, pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff, which was in his hand, and touched the meat and unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that the angel of the Lord, he uh, saw he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it is still in Oprah and the Abirzites. Now the same night, the Lord said, Take your father's bull and a second bull of seven years old and put down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold 
in, order, in an orderly manner and take the second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood and the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. Now he did it, but he did it by night. And it took some convincing on God's part, didn't it? Now, two things that you must realize and recognize for everybody out there. Asherah and Baal had no business in Israel. Those two foreign gods had no business amongst God's people. None whatsoever. You go back to the original Ten Commandments, and you shall have no other gods before me. Amen? Amen. But yet, how often have we seen Baal and Asherah repeated throughout the Scripture that caused God's people so many problems? Over and over and over again. They never mastered them. Never did. You may have a really good king that come through and got rid of all of them, but the next king after him, his own descendant, brings him right back in, right? You look at that and you go, man, you go, wow, they just never got that figured out, did they? Well, maybe the truth for all of us, too, is that we will probably, for if God's people, will probably always struggle against Baal and Asherah, foreign gods, won't we? The only time we'll ever get that licked is when the Lord comes back. That doesn't mean that it gives us an excuse to allow us to invite those things in. That's not what I'm saying. We need to do everything within our power and our ability to, to remove those things. But we've got to also be realistic and understand what the Scripture teaches us. Verse 28 says, When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down. The asher which was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. They said to one another, who did this thing? Oh, who did this thing? And when they searched out and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. So I don't know if the cover of darkness really did him any good. <laughs> they figured out who it was pretty quick, right? The men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah which was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him, he shall put to death by the morning. If he is God, let him contend for himself. Because someone has torn down his altar, therefore on that day he named, he named him Jerubal, 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 yeah, you get it. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves, and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and the Beersites uh, were called together to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh so they could call them together to follow him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. Now, Something very interesting takes place here in the next couple of verses as well. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me, as I've spoken to you, as I've spoken, as you have spoken, sorry. Now, didn't God, the angel of the Lord made it abundantly clear, didn't he? What his objective and his mission was, what he was going to do. And Gideon says, 
If you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken. And it was so, when he arose early in the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece in a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece, and let it now be dry on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was all on the ground. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early, camped beside the spring of Herod. That's verse 1, chapter 3. Uh, chapter 7, sorry. And he goes on, anyways, you go on to, to, to read that, that Gideon was able to be successful um, for the Lord. And so Gideon is, is what I would call the poster child of fear. The poster child of, of somebody that doubts his or her own abilities and their calling. It took several times for him to, to ask for God for a sign. You sure this is what you want? You see, the thing that we have a tendency to forget about is that when God calls us to do something, it's not by our own strength and might. And when we when we look at our own strength and our own might, you see, we start to look at you know the the power in numbers, so to speak, in the in the in the in the warriors. And it is actually a really good story in chapter seven. If you keep continue to read on, in other words, they, there are too many people showed up. Says no, no, no. He even says that they're going to say, by, my own, by our strength, we, we defeated these guys. And so he reduced it down to 10,000 warriors, right? So that we can go on and, and fight these guys. Because we look at it that way, from man's eyes and from flesh. But we got to understand that when God's called us to do something, and when God's called you to be a servant, there's nothing that's going to get in the way of that. When he's called you to be a Gideon in your life and in your family's lives and the lives of those that you're, that you're surrounded by, fear is a normal thing. It comes up. It, we're, all, we're all susceptible to it. It's all a part of who we are. But we can rise above those things. We can rise above fear. We can overcome it. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1... says in verse 7 it says for God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with his holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which is granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. 
You know, the thing that, that we think about in that scripture there is, is that he has not given us a spirit of timidity, right? We're not supposed to be timid. When we rest solely on our own ability, yeah, we're scared. We're timid because we're very limited in our own abilities, and our own skill set, right? But when we put our, tr- our faith in God and when we put our our understanding that when we're doing what God wants us to do, it's very empowering. It takes, it takes, it takes our limited world and our limited understanding and place, places it limitless and eternity. Because we no longer have, we're no longer governed by the rules and laws and, and all the things that, that you can read and understand about this life. When we put our, our faith in our, in our, our lives, our truly, in, in the things that we do, when we put, set aside fear of our own fleshly fear, and we lay that fear at His feet, and we, His strength becomes our strength, and His might becomes our might, then there's nothing that we can't accomplish, especially if it's something that He's called us to do. But when we look only at our strength and when we look only at our abilities, when we only look at our finances, when we only look at what we're capable of doing, we will fall short every time. Every time. When we fear, we're actually not fearing the right thing. See, we're supposed to fear God. And we'll get to those scriptures here in just a moment. But, you know, it's the beginning of understanding is fearing the Lord, isn't it? What do you mean? What? But you're just talking about not fearing. Yeah, you don't fear mankind. And don't fear the flesh. You see, when we start calculating things out in our own minds, in our own, in our own understanding, that's when fear creeps in. That's when anxiety and fear and depression and those kind of things creep in. Why? Because we've lost sight of who's really in charge. We lost sight of what's really important. He hasn't given us, as it says there, a spirit of timidity, right? In other words, that we're not supposed to be timid. We're not supposed to be afraid of what God has called us to. And we're not supposed to be afraid of this life and, 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 and all the things. Of, in 1 John chapter 4, Verse 15 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There, there is no fear in love. What? But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Hmm. When we have perfected our fear of God, as it says there, 
when we perfected our love, when our love is aligned with God, there is no fear. Because our, our, our faith, our fear, and everything is placed in its proper place. There's no punishment for serving God. He, he doesn't punish us. When we start to deviate from the will of God and from God's purpose, from His providential hand in our lives, when we start to deviate from that, fear begins to creep in. When we allow sin to take the place of God, Fear begins to arise. I've learned some of the things, and I, I preach these things just, just so that everybody, <laughs> and that I'm just as, as, as fearful of these things and aware of these things as everybody else in here. But, but one of the things that I've noticed is that there is a direct correlation to the amount of sin that is prevalent into my life and the amount of stress and anxiety and my levels increase. There's a parallel to those things. You go, what do you mean? I'm probably not studying enough. I'm probably not praying enough. I'm probably not listening to the Spirit enough. And so fear and anxiety begins to creep up. See, it will. Some, our minds and our hearts will be filled with something. You have the choice and you have the ability to choose to what you want to fill it with. Well, that's an oversimplification, brother. I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. And what I'm talking about is not reading just for the sake of reading. What I'm talking about is prayer and intentful thought and study and reading of God's Word. Okay? In other words, you have removed all the distractions that may be present in your life, whatever it is, the TV or the radio or people or whatever it is, that you set aside a certain amount of time to dedicate yourself to prayer and study. I mean, this. please understand this. That, that, that your prayer, if God calls you to raise your hands in your prayer, that you're in such a place, in a position, that you praise God right where you stand, right where you're at, right where you sit, that you give glory to Him. That's the kind of prayer, that's the kind of study I'm talking about. Where you are 100% aligned with what he's trying to teach you and what he's trying to, 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 to inspire you to do. If we're not in a position, if you're not in a place where you can communicate with God on that level, you're not in the right place. You go, well, that's not a good thing to say. Well, I, what, I'm, what I mean by that is maybe you need to go somewhere else. Maybe you need to go into your inner room. Some of you might do. Hey, I've been around people that are, that are unafraid to. They'll do it right there in front of you. You know, man, I wish I was that good sometimes. Right? Not afraid of it. Perfect love casts out fear. Proverbs chapter 1, the first proverb, I'll read a couple, a couple of these. Actually, a proverb and, and Ecclesiastes. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
you know, there's a lot of wisdom in the understanding that there is a God and that we must submit to Him. Amen? That's the beginning of it. And it's more than verbalizing it. It's living that way. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I like this. It's a summary. Verse 13 says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is, Fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether, whether it is good or evil. Boy, you talk about a simplification and a summary of things. That's a pretty good one. It says, fear God and keep His commandments. Hmm. Matthew chapter 10 puts things into perspective for us. really gives us a, an understanding and a, a perspective of fear that I think is, is very, very important. It says that, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That'll get your priorities right, isn't it? See, a lot of times the fear comes up, you think about it, look, apply that to Gideon. Apply what we just read in Judges chapter 6 over there with Gideon. You look at that and you go, look, the worst they can do is kill you. What? That's kind of a morbid outlook. Well, it's the truth. You serve the one true God. We serve the one true God. Mankind cannot kill your soul. Mankind has no effect on your eternal existence and where you go in eternity. They can take our lives. But they'll never be able to take our eternity. And they'll never be able to take our salvation. They can't touch it. Oh, really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? You think about fear and fear, how, how overpowering it can be in our lives, how it creeps in. Fear is an absence of God's power. When fear creeps in, when anxiety creeps in, when depression creeps in, when all those things start to creep in, that is at a time when we need to draw closer to the Lord. Spend time in prayer. Fill your minds with His Word. Fill your minds with the songs of praise. Fill your minds with, with, with brethren, with the, 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 the fact of being around God's people. Right? Fill your minds with His Spirit. Fill our hearts with His Spirit. Do not allow fear to paralyze us. 